Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. We know the last few months have been, to say the least, a learning curve. From teaching your kids at home, to figuring out video conferences, or even remembering the right way to go down aisles. We had a lot to learn, and our dealership did too. After all, our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy for our customers. So when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to CMA's ColonialHonda.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. And don't worry, we're always here to answer questions. If you'd like to complete it all online and you're not sure about something, give us a call and we can virtually walk you through it. Or you can take any of these steps in the dealership if that's more comfortable for you. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit CMA's ColonialHonda.com. Hear ye, hear ye. It's time for the Sports King Show. Live on Sports 1061. The show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne, His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 106.1. And good morning, everybody. Monday morning, we welcome you on what is, uh, it's been a very sad weekend uh, for Redskin fans everywhere, and uh, we are going to get to that. It's our top story uh, momentarily. I want to thank all of the sponsors, of course, of the Sports King Show. Of course, we want to thank Nerve, the never underestimate Radical Vision Company out of Denver, Colorado, handling the Sports King website. Uh, think outside the box and think outside the website.com. Digital marketing, video graphics, website design, they do it all. Think outside the website.com. Andrew Fisher, we thank you for all you do for the Sports King show. CMA Colonial Honda, they do an amazing job. Uh, we we got a car, and uh, I tell you, even during a pandemic, they deliver the car to your house, and they'll get the paperwork done, have you in and out. Didn't take more than a half an hour. So if you're looking for a vehicle, new or used, contact CMA's Colonial Honda. They do an amazing job. Tim Cosgrove is the best. The Podiatry Center, Dr. Paul Ross, with offices in Springfield and Bethesda, Maryland. Uh, of course, Dr. Ross, 180,000 patients have been through. I've been one of them, and I tell you, he is the best. And folks, if you need help, contact Dr. Paul Ross at the Podiatry Center, once again, Springfield, Virginia, and Bethesda, Maryland. And coming up soon, our good friend, Joe Moglia, the Joe Moglia Report, the chairman of TD Ameritrade, is our long-term friend and contributor to the show. He has a Joe Mugley report brought to you exclusively by Coastal Carolina University. We love Coastal Carolina University here at the Sports King Show. To start the program today, a very sad day indeed for Redskins fans uh, worldwide. Former Washington Redskins offensive line coach Joe Bugle, the architect of the Fame Hogs in the 80s, has passed away. The team announced yesterday he was 80 years of age. No cause of death was given. Bugle, who spent 32 years in the NFL, largely known for his work in Washington. Of course, he was a head coach elsewhere. But the offensive line coach for the Skins, let me go on record 
as I let you know what's happening today on the show. We've got your phone calls coming up, 804-327-0888. 804-327-0888 is the number if you'd like to talk about Joe Bugle or anything in the NFL at this point. We're going to have Mark Mosley, of course, the uh, 1982 NFL MVP, is going to join me in hour number two to talk about Joe Bugle, what he meant to the team, and what he meant uh, to fans everywhere. And Joe Bugle, as I go on record today, I believe the best offensive line coach of all time. He will be, to me, always. Of course, I'm biased being a Skins fan. But when you look at this man and see the body of work and how he took players like a Joe Jacoby, who really wasn't known out of college, and, and developed him into one of the best players ever at the position, and all of the things he did, I think universally, if you go down the line between Theismann and uh, Doug Williams and Mark Rippon, and when you ask those quarterbacks about the protective schemes that he had and the rushing attack and the passing attacks, all of those things, uh, the play calls that they had, of course, the famous runs with John Riggins, all that doesn't happen unless you have Joe Bugle making it happen. Joe Bugle... Uh, helped the Redskins reach three Super Bowls and the 80s, of course, their offensive line. Uh, one of the best all times, you've got uh, guard Russ Grimm, Hall of Famer, another tackle, Joe Jacoby, who should be in the Hall of Fame. And you've got uh, Pro Bowl offensive linemen throughout, of course, Grimm, Jacoby, Lachey. Uh, they were called the Hogs back in 1982 during a training, cram- uh, training camp practice where Bugle referred to them as a bunch of Hogs when telling them to head to the blocking sled. The name stuck, and Gibbs told them, once you establish a nickname, you better back it up. And they backed it up. And the Hogs did commercials. They did posters. They had the Hogettes at the games. Um, Bugle said that when he coached the Cardinals, he would get recognized in airports. People shouted, hey, there's the Hogs coach. And he was an amazing coach. Joe Theismann, a guest on our show last week, uh, immediately following the passing of Joe Bugle, said Joe Bugle was a friend as much as a coach. For those of us who had the privilege to know him, we were blessed. He'll have the best O-line in heaven, R.I.P. Joe. And I know that uh, we were hoping Joe Theisen might jump on today. He's very upset and broken up over the passing of Joe Bugle. As you can imagine, all the Skins are, and Skins fans today are as well. Bugle coached the Cardinals for four years. He served as Oakland Raiders assistant head coach of the offense for two years, becoming head coach for one season in 97. Now, he didn't have the success as a head coach as he did as an assistant coach, but uh, his overall efforts and what he did for this team, you can never under you can never understate it. Let, let's just put it that way. Uh, you're looking at some of the folks out there making some of the comments. His accomplishments as one of our sports truly legendary coaches speaks for themselves. But the first thing I think of is how he lived his life and the kind of quality human being Joe Bugle was. This from Cardinals owner Michael Bidwell. He said in a statement, and uh, you look at Dan Snyder, he said, quote, I'm absolutely devastated by the news of Joe's passing, end quote. Uh, He went on to say that Joe was a larger-than-life figure and true legend of his profession. He exemplified what it meant to be a Redskin with his character and ability to connect with his players along with a work ethic that was unmatched, and that's from Dan Snyder. When you look at what he meant to the Skins, and Joe Gibbs uh, went on record saying Joe had an incredible passion for the game of football, He came to work every day with such great excitement, and his players had tremendous respect for him. The strength of our coaching staff on both sides of the ball was a key reason we had so much success. Bugle was such a big part of that, and his impact was felt not only for those Redskins teams, but truly across the entire league. 
Joe Gibbs went on to say, I will miss his friendship and I will always cherish our late night arguments put together each game week. So that's the situation there in terms of um, Joe Bugle and the tremendous respect from Joe Gibbs. These guys were more than coaches. They were lifelong friends. And it's a situation where when you look at what happened uh, during his tenure in Washington, and some of you that are of a certain age and some of you that are of my age, you know, you know the difference when you say, you know, was he just a coach? Folks, uh, you know, he wasn't just a coach. He wasn't just an offensive line coach. This guy uh, took this team from an offensive standpoint and did what Joe Gibbs wanted him to do in terms of taking him to the next level. They had to run the football to set up the pass. And we have uh, 70 chip and all the great plays that were called and all of the great running plays with John Riggins, the counter trays. These are trademarks of Joe Bugle and what he did. So when you look at Joe Bugle and you look at the talent up front, the fact that he worked tirelessly with these players to get them better and they performed at the highest levels. Joe Bugle was such a technician and so talented, and the stories that I would hear from players about him as far as his personality, the way he treated people, the way that he endeared himself to his players, these guys would run through a wall for Joe Bugle, and they did. Don't get me wrong. He would get on them when he had to, and he knew how to get the most out of his players. That is the mark of a great coach. But we don't go to three Super Bowls. We don't have the success we've had as a franchise without Joe Bugle. So you're saying, hey, you know, you can't over you can't overstate this in any way, shape, or form. This man was so vital to this offense. Now, we don't get there with Joe, without Joe Gibbs. We all know that in terms of the play call and the able to take the top off of the offense in terms of going deep and all the passing and all of the things that Joe Gibbs did. But the fact that they worked together so beautifully and they knew what to do. And what happened with the Redskins' offense was so successful, if they pounded you, pounded you, pounded you, I mean, they softened you up. It's like body blows in a boxing match. You're getting pounded inside, pounded inside, and eventually you go up to the head and you knock somebody out. This is what they did offensively. The beauty of the offense was run, 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 grind it out, grind it out, grind it out. Then they stacked the box. Then you could go up top. You could open things up in a play-action situation as far as passing the football. But they had such respect for each other, Gibbs and Bugle, that they knew how to play off of each other. But it was the running attack that set up the passing attack for Washington that was so effective for so long. So when you look at the combination of Gibbs, the combination of Gibbs and Bugle, the beauty in it was the fact that it worked so well. The run-first offense that set up the pass. Now when you look at the John Riggins and the Kelvin Bryant's, and Ernest Biners and all the guys that had so much success running the football, all of those guys would say, I know, first and foremost, thank you, Coach Bugle, for allowing me to run behind a line that definitely opened massive holes. So we're looking back this morning. Love to hear from you, your thoughts on uh, the guy they call Boss Hog, Joe Bugle, the passing of Joe Bugle, age 80, a guy that's going to be missed in so many ways. Of course, uh, Joe Gibbs said he'd miss his friendship. He'll miss his late-night arguments, putting together game plans each week. And I can imagine going back and forth, Bugle wanting to run, run, run. And, of course, Joe wanted to throw the football. And, of course, they knew they had to have one to get the other. 
So it's going to be a big, big hole, not only in the NFL, but uh, he was a beloved figure by his players. These guys uh, through the years, uh, they cherish this guy. And I know this one's going to sting for a long time. And we're going to talk with Mark Mosley coming up at 11 o'clock about his remembrances of the late Joe Bugle. And uh, that was so sad this weekend to see that. And, you know, I, I just got to tell you, and watching him up close and hearing him and listening to him and just uh, understanding why the man was so special was because of his drive, his dedication, and the fact that he knew the game so intimately. He knew how to get the most out of his players. And that's something that uh, you know we will miss in Washington because uh, his like you don't think will ever be seen again in terms of what he did uh, with that offensive line. And, of course, you take some guys that had never been heard from before like uh, you know, the the guys that were underknown at one point, and then they became like a Joe Jacoby, a guy that out of Louisville people didn't know a lot about. Next thing you know, Bugle got with him, and he becomes a potential Hall of Famer, who should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. To have only one hog in there with Russ Grimm is, is a disgrace, but that's another story for another day. So uh, Bugle, of course, had some success uh, with the Cardinals early, but it didn't last long. And, of course, he coached San Diego's Chargers line for four seasons uh, after the 2001 campaign. He was out of coaching until, of course, Joe Gibbs uh, called him back and they got the band back together again. So, uh, once again, sad day. If you'd like to give us your thoughts, Joe Bugle, uh, 804-327-0888 is a number. And it's definitely something that uh, – We are uh, saddened by uh, on the show, and it's going to be a huge hole and uh, a guy that will be missed. And we'll touch more on this in the 11 o'clock hour with uh, Mark Mosley. He's going to join us to talk about uh, the loss of Joe Bugle. want to let you know the other news in the NFL, and uh, leave it to my producer, Ben Maitland, to really point this out. It was a fastball they tried to throw bias i'm saying new england the patriots of course we'll talk about the cam newton signing and get your take on that but amidst the cam newton signing this was slid in there about a half an hour after the cam newton signing the new england patriots have been fined 1.1 million dollars and they have had a third round pick taken away in the 2021 draft among the punishments for the television crews filming the field and the sideline during a December 8th game between the Cincinnati Bengals and Cleveland Browns. In addition, the Patriots television production crews will not be allowed to shoot any games during the 2020 season, and senior club officials will undergo required training on league operation and game policy. NFL spokesperson Michael Signoreau uh, confirmed the punishments Sunday night after the news broke on ESPN. The NFL also blamed David Mondillo, who was suspended by the Patriots at the time of the NFL investigation from NFL facilities until further notice. Before the league's discipline, Mondillo was terminated by the Patriots. The Patriots admitted that the production crew inappropriately filmed the field and the sideline. The crew was credentialed by the Browns to shoot video for a Patriots web series called Do Your Job, but the Patriots did not inform the Bengals or the NFL, which the Patriots called an unintended oversight. <laughs> you can't make this up. Unintended oversight, Bill Belichick. Yeah, I love it. The sole purpose of the filming was to provide an illustration of an advanced scout at work on the road. A Patriots spokesman said at the time there was no intention of using footage for any other purpose. Right. The Patriots also had a production crew, which included independent contractors who shot the video, which is not part of New England's football operations. The Patriots spokesman confirmed the team won't contest the penalties. Well, here's the thing with New England. They get Cam Newton, okay? So we're going to talk about that, which was a great sign. 
But as soon as they sign Cam Newton, within 30 minutes, they slide this in. The fine of $1.1 million, the loss of picks. They don't want this to be a headline in New England, folks. They want it to go away. So think about this. And if you're thinking to me, like me, and Ben mentioned this before we went on air, coincidence? No, no. There's nothing coincidental about the New England Patriots. This was a definite uh, move that they calculated down to the minute. Let's do the cam deal. Let's throw in the other deal behind there so we can minimize and mitigate the damages. If we can do that, we'll win. Why don't you think it would have come out today or earlier that day? It was not going to come out until they could tuck it behind something that would take it away, take the headlines away. And the Cam Newton deal did this. So Bill Belichick trying to be masterful and try to minimize the glare of something negative on the organization slides us in immediately following Cam Newton's signing. So that's a situation that uh, we saw, and it's something that uh, is not surprising. That's what the Patriots do. They want to try to uh, mitigate whenever they can, and it's a situation where, uh, you know, I didn't expect anything else but that. But the top news out of New England, and my take on this, quarterback Cam Newton has reached a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. What's your take? 804-327-0888. My take is this. I think it's brilliant. It sickens me to say that. It should have happened in Washington. And the reason I felt it should have happened in Washington is it's a win-now philosophy. You take Cam Newton, you add him into the Washington Redskins offense. And right now he's a guy that's on the mend. He's healthy. He's ready to go, ready to compete, ready to play right now. So Bill Belichick, what did he do? He reached an agreement for a one-year deal, incentive-laden deal. Now, I've heard from people outside the league, the Richard Shermans of the world, saying, hey, you've taken MVP, you're paying him a league minimum, and uh, you're not respecting him financially. He's going to be on the lower end of quarterbacks making money. But it was Tom Brady who left to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in free agency. The Patriots did not select the quarterback in the draft. They got Jarrett Stidham and 11-year veteran Brian Hoyer atop the depth chart. Now, People are saying to me, is this a death knell for Jared Stidham? And I don't think so. I'm going to be honest with you. I can easily see Stidham starting the season. I can see him getting the opportunity to be the starter. That's not saying that he's better than Cam Newton. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that he's been in the system. He's learned the system. If he gets out there and performs well, I can see Belichick giving him an opportunity. Because remember, Belichick is in love with the W. How you get to the W is of little means to him. He doesn't care about personalities. He cares about winning. And I'm sure he told Cam the same thing. So if Stidham starts the year, much like the the Bledsoe-Brady situation, if you remember that through history, Bledsoe recovered in time to play in the Super Bowl and, and make a, a big statement in the playoffs, but Bledsoe was kept on the bench because he stuck with Brady. He felt Brady was given the best chance to win. It got very contentious, but you have to remember, this is not about relationships with Belichick. He doesn't care if you like him. He doesn't care if you admire him. He doesn't care if you have dinner with him. It's not his deal. His deal is to coach you and win ball games. And if you happen to be in the way, so be it. So could I see Jared Stidham trot out on opening night as a starter? Yes. Will the leash be long? No. If he has a bad performance or two, uh, it'd be like a bad vaudeville act. They'll definitely pull him off the stage, and it will go to Cam Newton to be his team. Now, conversely, could Cam Newton be the starter from day one? 
Absolutely. Some people are saying that's the case, and that's why he's brought in. He didn't come in to be a backup. But I think Stidham, who is a guy that has some qualities, some Brady-type qualities. I'm not saying he's Tom Brady, but he does a few things like Brady. He runs well. He throws well. He's a smart guy, got a lot of talent. He may be the guy that gets the opportunity out of the gate. That doesn't mean it's a long-term opportunity. Now, the Cam Newton situation is his deal is incentive-laden because if he does well with this, he can make a ton of money up to $7.5 million. So you're looking at a situation about Newton who turned 31 in May. He passed his physical. He's healthy. His foot is good. His shoulder is good. He has worked out. He looks hungrier than ever for the next opportunity. And then, lo and behold, you move to the New England Patriots where, of course, you have six titles there. Caesar Sportsbook has moved the Patriots from 25-1 to 1 to 20-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl with the addition of Cam Newton and from 10 to 1 to 9 to 1 AFC. So you're seeing an incremental jump, which is what I said with Washington. Had he come to Washington, been the starter, maybe mentored Haskins Jr., that could have been a great situation. Now in Washington, you've got Haskins Jr. and Kyle Allen. So we're going to trot this kid out on opening night with the hope that he has uh, basically transformed himself. Uh, and become this great player within a year. And we know it's going to be more learning pains, growing pains. And as a Redskin fan, after uh, close to 30 years, I'm over the growing pains. I'm ready to win now. And I just think Ron Rivera, it looks like it's going to say, hey, we'll go through a few more years of growing pains until this young man either uh, flies or does not fly in terms of this offense taking off. Uh, Newton holds most of Carolina's career passing records. He missed 14 games last season with the Liz Frank injury and the final two games of the 2018 season with a shoulder injury that required surgery. So you're looking at his past. He's had injury issues, but he's better now. Overall, he's passed for almost 30,000 yards, 20,041, 182 touchdowns, and 108 interceptions. He's rushed for 4,800 yards and 58 touchdowns. So here's the deal with Cam Newton. He can beat you with his arm. He can beat you with his legs. He is a multifaceted player that when he is on and when he's at his best, he was the NFL MVP back in 2015. He counted for 45 touchdowns in the regular season, led the Panthers to an appearance in the Super Bowl, which was the 24-10 loss to the Denver Broncos. The Panthers have been in the playoffs only once since then, a wild card loss to the New Orleans Saints in 2017, which was my concern with Ron Rivera coming here, three winning seasons out of eight. So that's a situation where you have to tie him and Ron Rivera together. So Cam Newton, Ron Rivera, but he did have one a breakout year and he had the Super Bowl lost to the Broncos. So he's capable. I think with Josh McDaniel, Bill Belichick mentoring him in New England, he's not going to be able to freelance. It's not going to be about the brand. That's one thing I can tell you this. Belichick's going to sit him down and say, look, if you want to go where I can take you, put this brand stuff out of your head and start working on this team concept and you'll win here and you'll reach heights you've never thought of. But you have to do it my way, the Belichick way, the way of the hood. If you do it this way, I will teach you. So the hoodie now is in control, and I guarantee you they're going to have that conversation because he doesn't want anybody worried about anything outside the building. It's on the Cleveland, as we well know. So that's my take there. We'll take your phone calls much, much more. we got Mark Mosley coming up at the 11 o'clock hour. You listen to Sports King on Sports 1061. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Mike Singletary, former Chicago Bear, Hall of Famer. You're listening to my friend, Jamie King. The Sports King on Sports 1061. 
Hi, sports fans. It's the Sports King for the Podiatry Center of renowned foot doctor, Dr. Paul Ross. Dr. Ross is an expert who develops individual game plans for the sole purpose of getting his patients back to 100% as quickly as possible. In my case, I wore soft casts, hard casts. I was in pain and I saw no relief. That is, until Dr. Ross came to the rescue. He restored my foot to the way it was originally, and he gave me the quality of life I so desperately wanted to return to. He can do the same for you. He has state-of-the-art techniques and strategies to ensure your pain and issues become a thing of the past. If you've tried the rest, do yourself a favor and now try the best. Call today. Two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Welcome back. You're listening to a man who is cooler than the other side of the pillow. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. Monday morning on the Sports King Show. Thank you so much for joining us. Facebook Live as well as Sports 1061. We've been looking back the life and career of the great Joe Bugle, who passed away Sunday at age 80. What a huge loss in the NFL and for mankind. A guy that was beloved by his players and fans alike. And we'll catch up with the 1982 NFL MVP, Mark Mosley, who will talk to us about his memories of Joe Bugle, a guy that did so much and helped pave the way literally for the Redskins to do what they did on the ground, leading to three world titles. We don't have those world titles without Joe Bugle in tow. Want to let you know over the weekend at Pocono, uh, round number two went to Denny Hamlin. He seized the spotlight and victory lane at, uh, of course, it was a weather situation there for a while. Uh, but Hamlin topped Kevin Harvick on Sunday night to win the second cup race of the weekend at Pocono Raceway. And a uh, situation where that team is really, really, if I've gone on record saying Joe Gibbs has got it going on there. Um, Hamlin has uh, 41 victories to move 19th on NASCAR's career list. His sixth win at Pocono matched Jeff Gordon for the most at the two-plus mile trial oval track. Of course, Hamlin has four wins this season for Joe Gibbs Racing. Harvick has three for Stuart Haas Racing as they start to separate themselves from the rest of the field. It looks like these two guys, one, two, two, one. I mean, you can look at it any way you want, but Hamlin is a guy that is really, really trying to prove he's the best in the business. Right now, uh, he really is up there at the top. Uh, Hamlin raced uh, to his fourth victory of the season to cap a wild marathon day of racing at the track. Three NASCAR races and nightfall in the finale. Pocono doesn't have lights, but the pit road numbers were lit up and glowed as Hamlin, uh, Hamlin won for the second straight year at Pocono. Hamlin had a late vibration in his number 11 Toyota on Saturday that hindered his attempt to catch Harvick down the stretch. About 25 hours later, Hamlin surged past Harvick and built a nearly three-second lead once the SHR driver got caught up in lap traffic. Our car was actually better today than it was yesterday, Harvick said. We had to run in a lot of traffic there, and Denny kept ticking off laps. The Daytona 500 champions victory capped the first NASCAR triple header at the track. The race was delayed by lightning and rain as much as part of Pocono and JGR driver taking the checkered flag. Gibbs roster has six of the past seven winners at Pocono. 
I hate to feel disappointed in a second in a first, but man, I feel I should have won both races. Hamlin said that's uh, that's a great mindset right now. They ran six laps before the race was red flagged for nearly 51 minutes because of rain. NASCAR ran several uh, pace laps before the race finally went under green around 6:15 p.m. It was a race against darkness to complete the full 350 miles. Harvick won Saturday's race and put the brakes on a burnout, but had to save that engine for another run in the same number four Ford. The starting lineup was inverted for Sunday's race, so Harvick started 20th. Eric Jones finished third. Chase Elliott fourth. Eric Almarola was fifth. And, of course, a situation where Denny Hamlin and hats off to him and, and Joe Gibbs Racing. They've done an amazing job, and, of course, he wins the weather-delayed Pocono 350. So Hamlin and Harvick looks like it's going to be 1-2 all the way down the stretch. These guys uh, are just doing some amazing things on the track. Folks, it's not easy. Uh, you look at Richard Petty, 200 wins to win any time, like in the NFL. Anytime you win a NASCAR, it is a big accomplishment, and these guys are really at the top and the front. They've really been doing some amazing things, and their crews deserve a lot of credit as well. So we want to go back to our top stories. Of course, we've got other things we're looking at, but uh, the Travelers Golf Tournament over the weekend, another another great event, and this one was uh, at a lot of uh, uh, twists and turns to it, but it was Dustin Johnson ending up on top at the TPC River Highlands course in Cromwell, Connecticut. He's 19 under par. Uh, finished with a 67 around four, 69 day one, 64 day two, 61. He went low on day three and ended with a 67 on round four. Uh, total 261. His earnings for the four day event: one million three hundred thirty-two thousand dollars. He earned 500 FedEx points. Dustin Johnson, your winner at the Travelers Championship. He outdueled Kevin Streelman, who finished 18. Will Gordon finished 17. Mackenzie Hughes had been there all week, 17 as well. Kevin Na, 16, Ryan Armour, 15, Brendan Steele, 15, Patton Kizri, uh, 15 uh, under, Scott Stallings, 15 under, and Bryson DeChambeau, 15 under. So a lot of Americans on the board. As a matter of fact, your top uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 11 uh, finishers, uh, Mackenzie Hughes, the only Canadian, everybody else American in the field. Uh, as far as your top finishers there at the Travelers. But congratulations to Dustin Johnson, a guy that uh, you got to look at him down the stretch now as you head towards the Masters in November. Uh, boy, it's hard to say, Masters in November. But he's going to be a favorite there as well. And some other guys playing well, of course, Bryson DeChambeau, who, who just made his remade his body, doing some great things here, hitting the ball well, striking the ball well. And uh, some other guys are up there at the top doing well too. So, uh, kind of disappointed. Was pulling for the old guy Phil Mickelson to do well. He closed out uh, the last two days, Saturday and Sunday, seventy-one, seventy-one, two sixty-nine overall. Finished uh, basically thirty-second. He was eleven under uh, for the tournament, so uh, he looked like he had a real shot, but then kind of faded the last two days. And sometimes the older players uh, they start to fall on those Saturday Sundays when they can't make the turn. It seems like sometimes they fade away a little bit. It's a very tough deal for them as you're getting over 50, a little tougher to compete with these young guys. And sometimes you don't have what it takes. Uh, this was a weekend where he just kind of fell apart. But he played well early, and that was something that uh, you know I was very proud of him watching his performance, saying, man, this guy's still doing it at his age uh, at a high level. He loves to hit it uh, long ways. And, of course, 64-63 to start it off. And if he could have maintained that, uh, he'd have been right there at the end. But uh, PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan announced the Travelers Championship uh, uh, that several players, Cameron Champ, positive test of COVID-19. Graham McDowell, his caddy tested positive. Brooks Kepka, his caddy tested positive. And Chase Kepka, um, 
it was out uh, of abundance for caution there. Webb Simpson also held out uh, due to caution. So we had a lot of uh, different guys kind of either coming down with it or their caddies coming down with it. So it's a situation where uh, golf did a great job trying to quarantine those guys and get on the right track. So hopefully uh, the PGA is understanding this more. So there's been a lot of outbreaks lately, as we've seen throughout the uh, nation and world, and they're trying to uh, alleviate some of the spiking that's going on in a situation that's fluid. Of course, the NBA, we're excited about that. The, the NBA coming back with the 22 teams, and uh, it looks like it's going to be uh, a run to the roses for those guys. I mean, it's going to be a lot of excitement. Some of the matchups uh, that you look through in terms of the NBA uh, coming up, of course, is all going to open up on Thursday, July 30th. Here's your lineup. The Utah Jazz take on the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans, a team that's just laying there in the weeds. you got to watch these guys. Very dangerous young team. That game starts it all off, 6.30 in the evening on TNT. Then it's going to be followed by the nightcap. How about this one? The L.A. Clippers versus the L.A. Lakers. The Lake Show hosting the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard against uh, LeBron James and company. This is must-see TV, and it's going to happen on Thursday, July 30th. And then Friday, you've got a huge, huge uh, start to your weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's going to be end-to-end basketball. So that's the thing. We've got all these different sports happening, and they're all going to be happening rapidly. Of course, Major League Baseball, we're happy to announce that. Uh, They're starting to get back uh, together in terms of slowly but surely. Of course, the testing is going to be happening uh, daily or every other day. They're talking about the 60-game season. they got key dates coming out. Uh, We're excited about this. The number of games we know is 60. Opening day is going to be, they say the 23rd, but it looks like it's going to be the 24th. Spring training will begin July 1st. Major League Baseball asked the MLBA uh, PA on Monday whether or not uh, players will be able to report to training camp in their respective cities within seven days by July 1st. The number of teams in the playoffs is going to be 10 teams in this year's playoffs, so you have a shot. Uh, salary structure, full pro rate is uh, salary, which will be for 60 games, meaning the players will earn around 37% of their full season salary as long as the truncated schedule is completed. So that's a big if. But if everything goes off, they'll get 37% of their salary. So that's the situation there. And uh, we've got a lot of fluidity to it, so you know it's going on. But the exciting part is you're starting to hear already things that are really exciting, like the Nationals going to open up. It looks like Nationals Park. They haven't given a definitive word yet, but it looks, and they're leaning towards that being the site. Opening day for the Nationals would be against the New York Yankees. Now, can you imagine on the hill in this game, Steven Strasburg potentially versus Garrett Cole? Two guys that are at the top of their game, of course, in face each other in the World Series. I mean, these guys are great pitchers, and you're probably looking six, seven hundred million dollars in that game alone on the mound, and it'll be without fans. So that's kind of a shame. But with the fact we get to watch it from home will be exciting nonetheless. But that is going to be interesting in terms of that lineup that day. The Yankees and the Nationals have started off. It's already like a uh, an October setting, if you will, in a normal year in terms of a playoff-type atmosphere with those two pitchers at the top of the bill. So that's exciting there. So we have uh, recapped uh, early today uh, on the show. We started off with Joe Bugle, the passing of Joe Bugle. We're going to talk with Mark Mosley coming up here at 11 o'clock to go over his uh, remembrances of the great Joe Bugle. 
Cam Newton, we'd love to hear from you. What do you think? 804-327-0888. What do you think about the New England Patriots signing Cam Newton? Is this going to be a great move, average move? What do you think? I think it's going to be a great move because you have to remember, Cam Newton has been about a brand in a lot of ways. It's a Cam Newton brand and Cam Newton show. He's going to walk into that New England situation, and you have to understand that's unlike any place you're going to go. It's not about you first. It's about the team first. And when you go in that building, Belichick sits you down and says, hey, you can be a part of something very special here, but you're just a part of something very special here. If we can jettison Tom Brady out of here, we can send anybody out of here. That message to the Patriots and their team basically said, no one is above the hoodie. No one is above Bill Belichick. It's his team first and foremost. And if he wants you there, you're there. If he doesn't want you there, you won't be there. If you don't do things the Patriot way, basically his way, you won't be around New England. So that's the situation there. But Cam Newton has another chance. A lot of people are upset throughout the league saying that he got in there for the league minimum, which he should have been paid uh, top dollar. You know, I'm conflicted on this because last year he didn't play in 14 games, so you wonder if he's uh, worth the value right now because pre-injury, you knew he was worth the money. Post-injury, he is have to come back and prove himself again. So you wonder if they're doing the right thing or not in terms of not paying him maximum dollars. But you knew the Patriots were going to try to get him on the cheap. It's what they do. Now, if they can back-end it and go to Robert Kraft and say, we'll pay him a king's ransom, if you will, if he earns it, if he does this, if he does that, if he leads us to a Super Bowl, then, of course, we'll pay him whatever he is deserving of. But if he doesn't earn it, he's not going to get it. He's just going to get the league minimum. So I do not expect him to hold the clipboard long. I do not expect him to sit behind Jared Stidham long. However, Stidham has a capable ability to play at a high level. I think he could do well. Uh, of course, he did well for Gus Malzahn and Auburn. He has a talent, uh, able to throw, able to read, able to run. So I don't think it's a slam dunk that Cam Newton's automatically going to be thrown in there as a starter. I think it will happen eventually if Stidham falters. But Stidham's got to go in now with the job saying to himself, if I blow this, this could be my one opportunity. I may never hear, be heard from again because i got a guy behind me that is waiting to take this job and run with it. So Cam Newton is sitting there. Will he be the starter? He could be, but we're not sure totally at this point. But we do know that Cam Newton is now in New England, and that we know for sure. We're going to take a timeout, come back, top of the hour. Mark Mosley, also your phone calls, 804-327-0888. We'd love to hear from you on this Monday. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, sports fans. This is former Washington Redskins quarterback and Super Bowl 26 MVP, Mark Griffin. You are listening to my favorite sports show, The Sports King, hosted by my great friend, Jamie King, on Sports 1061. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, president and general manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. We know the last few months have been, to say the least, a learning curve. From teaching your kids at home to figuring out video conferences or even remembering the right way to go down aisles. We had a lot to learn, and our dealership did too. After all, our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy for our customers. So when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to cmascolonialhonda.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. And don't worry, we're always here to answer questions. If you'd like to complete it all online and you're not sure about something, give us a call and we can virtually walk you through it. Or you can take any of these steps in the dealership if that's more comfortable for you. 
CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com. Sports King Nation, want to take part in the show? Here's your chance to call the studio line. 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. And welcome back. Monday morning on the Sports King Show. And I'm looking at some of the headlines on all the sports channels. Do the Wizards deserve to be in the restart? Uh, if you ask me, I say no. 24-40. and 40. Ninth in the Eastern Conference. Why? Who wants to see that? Unwatchable. The Wizards are unwatchable. Not a good basketball team. Bradley Beal and a cast of guys that you couldn't pick out of a lineup. Uh, not a good basketball team. 24 and 40, ninth in the Eastern Conference. They won't be a, around long in Orlando, so that will be a short-lived deal for the Wizards. Just awful. But anyway, Scott Brooks, he has to deal with that situation. Fortunately, I don't. But uh, your take on that situation, the Wizards, do they even deserve to be there? That is a great question. Um, We want to thank, uh, once again, all of you and the sponsorship of the show. And remind you that Coastal Carolina will exclusively bring the Joe Mowgli Report coming to you ASAP. Uh, We'll let you know this week when Joe will be back, but we're excited to have him back, the chairman of TD Ameritrade. And also, uh, we are uh, reminded that he was once the Awesome. I mean, he did a great job as a head coach at Coastal Carolina football as well. So he comes at it from different perspectives. He comes at it from an investment aspect, also comes at it from a coaching aspect. So he brings us a lot of insight in a lot of different ways. And this is a situation that we're excited to have him back. Uh, of course, we want to let you know that over the weekend, it was Dustin Johnson, 19 under, winning the Travelers. We talked about that. Uh, we're going to talk with Mark Mosley here just at the top of the hour about the passing of Joe Bugle. Get your thoughts as well. 804-327-0888 is the number. 804-327-0888 is the number. And when I look at the situation with Major League Baseball, one thing about it is they're trying to get across 28 Major League cities to try to get this done. Uh, It looks like it's going to happen. Of course, Major League Baseball has an 101-page health protocol document that goes over every single aspect of this. But when the league and his players are coming together, 60 games, 66 days, 28 cities, you're looking at uh, the intangibles here that you don't know about because uh, as things start on July 23rd, you have players like Ryan Zimmerman of the Nationals that say he may or may not come back and play because of the fact that it might be health concerns for his family. He doesn't want to infect or bother his family in any way, shape, or form. So he may not uh, play for the Nationals. So that's another question there. But when you look at Major League Baseball and what's going on in terms of the safety aspect, what you have to think about is despite the fact that they have all of the guidelines, um, Dave Roberts said, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers skipper said, I think the strategy is uh, being upfront and being honest. And that's great. Uh, He's talking about the players being honest. But when you have young players – and people that uh, could be affected throughout this whole deal. You're talking about the fact that players used to come to the you know clubhouse five hours before the game, stayed long after, let traffic die down, maybe take some cuts, do whatever, and then hang out afterwards, have a beer, have something to eat, and then go home later after traffic's died down. Basically right now, they can't show up as it is now five hours before a game, and they must be out of the clubhouse 90 minutes after a game. 
So it's going to be a lot different for the players. So where my worry is for the players is uh, you're looking at guys traveling all over the place, and uh, it's not the players in the bubble environment that bothers me. It's when they, if they go home, and let's say their child comes in contact with a parent uh, at a school and something rubs off and then they bring it back and they go back into the clubhouse and then it starts all over again. You hope that's not the case, but that's the situation you worry about, the red-hot aspect of the coronavirus that uh, is on everybody's mind in terms of right now with the, the spikes coming back in Florida, Arizona, Georgia, Texas, and California. Uh, you're looking at some key areas for players and teams and right now, there's so many players that are on the uh, worry zone, if you will, of, hey, will I catch this because I'm in these cities? And if I travel these cities, how is that going to affect me? So, you know, there's been months and months of uh, preparation, but they're hoping they can pull this off without any issues. But the problem is the outside situations, when you have young players that want to go out to a bar afterwards or go somewhere and just celebrate or go out and live life, that's fine in a normal world, but right now, if they go out and bring it back in, and then it can go right through a clubhouse, and then it can wipe out an entire team. So they've got to be, as Dave Roberts said, you have to be honest and open about this situation, but you have to understand there's more at stake than just you. If you go out somewhere and are around people and you get somebody that's infected and infects you, brings it back in the clubhouse, it could have devastating effects for your team and for baseball in this restart plan. Of course, 60 teams 66 days you need your full complement of players as much as you can have them on board if you're worrying about every day about whether or not this is going to happen or not because some players may not be taking it seriously we get some real problems so hopefully rob manford has control of it hopefully they can sit there and say hey if we're getting tested every day every other day uh, it's a scenario where you're worried about uh a player going to a nightclub or putting himself in a position where a young guy wants to go out and maybe uh, meet a young lady or dance or have some drinks after a ball game. And if he's in that environment and somebody's infected and you come back the next day, then you have to be quarantined for 14 days. Now, here's the deal. If this guy's a power hitter or a pitcher or somebody you depend on for some victories in a 60-game situation, uh, you know, you don't have many opportunities in 60 games. You can't get on a losing streak. You can't miss key players. So this really, to me, as I've said and gone on record saying, I don't think it's going to be always the team that maybe is the best. It could be the medical staff behind the scenes that keeps their players healthy that could be the team that could win this whole thing because some of these teams, parity-wise, are fairly even. You have some that are much better talent-wise, but it's going to be the medical staffs that can somehow put a cocoon issue around their players, keep them as protected as possible, and maybe come up with some kind of protocol that they can do where a player has a little flexibility but doesn't infect anybody else on the roster because the teams that stay healthiest through this are the ones that could be your world champion because that's a situation with these medical staffs and they've never been more important than they are now. They're always important, but right now they're at the forefront because they've got their work cut out on not only on major league baseball, the NBA, all those medical teams down there. And also in the NFL, these medical staffs going forward are going to be your MVPs in some ways because they've got to keep your players healthy. They got to come up with ideas to keep players engaged you know, keep them safe at all times. Then you have to keep staff safe. You got to have to get coaches safe. So it's a lot of uh, moving parts. As we said, fluid. It's a very fluid situation. And it's something that's going to be, uh, you know, a situation where you have to watch it every single day. You can't let up in any way, shape, or form. Um, you're looking at players and, uh, you know, those guys are making the money that they've made in the past. 
they don't and won't make as much, 37% of what their salary, which is still a ton of money, but it's not going to be everything they made in the past, but it's still going to be better than nothing. Uh, Washington Nationals first base and Ryan Zimmerman, as I said, is an ongoing uh, player that's saying he may or may not uh, come back because his mother is super high risk given her age and multiple sclerosis. And his wife, Heather, recently gave birth to their third child. So he has all of this weighing on him, the health of his mother, the health of his wife and his baby. And he's saying at this point in his career, you know, going out on top, you know, is not a bad thing. Having won a world title with the Nationals last year, should he even try to come back and play one more year with the fact that he could take something home and infect possibly his mother, who's in a high risk, a super high risk according to him, and his wife, Heather, who recently gave birth to their third child. So it's a situation where you have to be careful. You have to consider all of the situations around you and make sure that all the players understand that, you know, one bad move, one time going into the wrong place, the wrong venue, bringing it back could really wipe through like a wildfire through your entire locker room. It really could be something that could really be damaging beyond words in terms of the 60 game season for a team and if you lose multiple players then what do you do if you're Rob Manford do you then try to bring minor leaguers up do you try to get through it the best you can or do you continue on or do you just scrap the whole deal I mean right now everybody's all on everybody's engaged everybody wants it to happen but there's going to be you know, a decent number of positive tests we know that in spring training and during the season this according to Dodger chief of baseball Andrew Friedman to me, it's much more about how quickly we respond to that, the treatment options, the quarantining, making sure it doesn't spread among the group. So that's what I was just going over. It's going to be the folks like Andrew Friedman, the chief baseball officer in the medical staff, deciding and making sure the players that are infected, the players that are coming in contact with folks that are, are quarantined so it doesn't spread like wildfire. These folks are really going to be your MVPs to make sure that it doesn't happen. So... Uh, it's going to be something to keep our eye on. And, you know, hopefully it's going to be a very minimal amount of people that get infected. We certainly hope that's the case because we'd love to see baseball back. We're going to take a time out now. Come back hour number two of the Sports King Show. Our special guest, the 1982 NFL MVP, longtime friend Mark Mosley, is going to join us talking about the late, great Joe Bugle. It's a conversation you don't want to miss. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, this is Kurt Gouveia, number 54, Washington Redskins. You're listening to my friend, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 106.1. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. Our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy. So when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to cmascolonialhonda.com Select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com. You're listening to a man whose future is so bright, he's got to wear shades. The Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back, everyone. It is a Monday morning and a very sad Monday morning indeed for Redskin fans worldwide. And uh, we are honored to have 
With us, the 1982 NFL MVP, longtime Redskin great, kicker Mark Mosley joins us. And Mark, thank you so much for jumping on. I know a very tough time for you and your teammates and uh, just a very sad announcement yesterday. Joe Bugle passed away at age 80. Your remembrances of the great offensive line coach for the Redskins. But Joe was a good man. He was uh, tough. But uh, I, to be honest with you, the only times I really had any any um, dealings with Coach Bug was um, when I was coming off the field, either after I made a field goal or missed it. And uh, usually he was the first one to greet me if I made it and the first one to greet me if I missed one. And I much rather coming off the field when I made one to face him rather than when I missed one. He was pretty tough on me. But he was a good man. He was honest, and he he knew uh, what each of us had in us, and what we could the the talent that we had, and the, our abilities. And he would push us to that to make sure that we achieved those those talents to their highest degree. And uh, that was Joe Joe Bugle, and uh, you know he proved it through his career with all those offensive lines and that he produced that were the great the great ones. I think the the first big one he 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 coached before he came to the Redskins back in, in the 80s but he uh he he was when he came to washington he was the coach that uh, built the hogs who are worldwide known and have been known since the mid the early 80s and are a uh they're a fixture around the nfl uh their legend goes on it grows as every year it gets bigger and bigger but they were a great bunch of guys and uh you know that group and, and some others that filled in over the years over the next 12 years, I think it was, they went to uh, three Super Bowls and uh, were successful in, in those in uh, three out of four, I'm sorry, four Super Bowls and were successful in three out of four of those Super Bowls. So, uh, you know, he was a big part of it was, was him. He was just a great leader. The guys respected him so much um, that um, it was, it was amazing. They would do anything for him as, as would any of the rest of the players on the team, just because, he was the kind of guy, a lot like Joe Gibbs, and the, the kind of coach that you never wanted to disappoint. You wanted to, you want, you respected him so much that you wanted him to respect you and, and uh, have pride in, in what you did out there on the field. And that, that's that's what kind of drove you to to do the great things that you could do. You look at Joe Jacoby, a guy that was unheralded out of college. He developed him into a guy who should be in the Hall of Fame. When you look at all the players and you as a player sit there at times you're on buses you're on planes you have downtime where you could talk to guys and you hear things through the years and one of the things i always thought of coach bugle was the way he related to his players and like you said they run through a wall for him in terms of all the things they do for him there was that respect word you kept talking about in terms of what was a mutual respect back and forth and they wanted to always please him but he was a guy that could be tough on them and demanding, and if they didn't do things right, I've seen him and not very happy at the same time when they did things well. Uh, he was the first guy, as you said, there to greet you off the field. Uh, in terms of that the man himself, away from the actual coach, the man, just a genuinely good man is what we continue to hear about Joe Bugle in terms of the way he carried himself in his personal life as well. Yeah, he was a great father and a great husband. Uh, his wife, Brenda, they were together for a long, long time. And, um, I mean, it's, I, my condolences go out to the family, my prayers, uh, they're, uh, they're great people. And, and, uh, uh, I think the last time I saw him was at coach Gibbs, son's funeral here, um, back earlier this year. And it was a very sad time for the, for all of us players that played under coach Gibbs 
and coaches and there was a big coaching staff there and uh you know we um we've all respected him uh he was a great and he's the uh the second in just in the last few months that has passed away uh teddy marsha broda passed away you know here not long ago i'm not exactly what remember what the date was but it hadn't been that far back uh and um you know we, you know, we lost uh wayne severe ago uh, to a heart attack, and and so we've lost some great coaches that were back in those that that great era of the skin Super Bowls, and uh, they were all just good people as well as great coaches, but had the respect not only of of the players, but had great respect from the owner Dan Snyder, and who was a fan back then, but who is now the you know the owner of the Redskins, and uh, all the other coaches and the and I think that he was one of the most beloved uh, coaches that ever to be here in Washington, along with coach Gibbs and coach Allen. Um, you know, there was, those were uh, and Vince Lombardi were great coaches and Google was one of those. And when you look at your, your illustrious career and the opportunities you had from a kicking standpoint, you know, and have always known if you can't get in the scoring range, you can't kick. And the fact that his offense and those great rushing attacks, and of course the aerial attacks with Coach Gibbs, a combination of those two together, allowed you opportunities to do the things that set the records that you did to put you in position. So it seemed like, as you said, he always greeted you come off the field. There was a mutual respect that he had uh, between you and he, and you knew that that offense did things for you to gave you those great opportunities. Yeah, and well. You know, all the coaching staff, I think, had respect for my ability to come on, and I knew that, and that's why I never wanted to let them down. Uh, you know, I was a, a, a big part of our offense back in the uh, 70s and 80s and, and uh, scoring points. I led the league in scoring four different times back then. Uh, I set an NFL record the year that the team a record of, I think it was 571 points or 61, something like that. I scored 161 points of those those points that year. So I, I had a big part of it and they all, they, they counted on me when I went out on the field, they were counting on me getting the three. And that took a lot of pressure off the offense, knowing that um, once we got past the 50 yard line, we at least had a good off a good, good chance to at least get three, but we we're always working for that seven. And uh, so it was, you know, I, I was a big part of that and, and all the coaches knew it, the players knew it. So I, I took that as a responsibility that I had to produce when it, when the opportunity showed up. When you looked at the Hogs, of course, Grim, Jacoby, Mark May, Jeff Bostic, George Starks, and others, when you'd watch those guys practice, and, of course, you go by them and you hear Coach Bugle working those guys, and what was it, the mastery of the coach that – you know, was so great in terms of getting the best out of these guys. What was it, the uh, the drive behind him that led them to such greatness? Was it the preparation? What was the things that made him stand out well, as was, a great offensive line coach? A lot like Coach Gibbs, Coach Bugle, it was all the little things. They stressed the little things that most coaches tend to, to just take for granted, but they always stress the little things. Uh, the the right foot plant when you get coming back for a, for a sit-up to block or a left foot stance, you know, where your feet are, um, keeping your feet moving all the time and, and paying attention to what the guys on either, either side of you are doing, just little things that make a huge difference when it gets together and it, and it makes the, the guys up front uh, play as a team and, and work as a team. Uh, that's why one of the reasons Joe, Joe, uh, Joe T was so good because he had so much confidence in his offensive line knowing that they were going to protect him. They even had a, a way of 
uh, protecting the lane that, that the, the play was designed to go to. If it was designed to go to the right, they would force everybody outside of, of Joe because Joe wasn't the tallest quarterback in the league, so they knew he needed a, a good visual uh, track to the, to the receiver so they block a certain way to get those guys out of that lane, out of that passing lane. And, I mean, there was just all the little things that, um, that you do and that you need to do if you're going to be really great. He taught those things, and they spent days and weeks and months just working on those things all the time on top of working together as a team, running plays here. And, you know, they just – it was just day after day of practice, 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 and, and it paid off. Our special guest, the 1982 NFL MVP, Mark Mosley, of course, a legendary Redskin and did so much for the team, remembering Joe Bugle. When you look at the career of Joe Bugle, Mark, and you look back at the success of the Hogs and the fact that one of the identifiable groups in the NFL, you got the Purple People Eaters and the No Name Defense and the Hogs. I mean, that's a name that stood out because they, as Coach Gibbs said, if you're going to have a nickname, you better earned it. And they went out and earned it uh, every day they played on a Sunday. It was just spectacular to watch. But when you look at Coach Bugle's legacy, and he was so beloved here, and, and very few coaches, when you talk about the head coaches, yes, you remember them. You remember all the great ones. A lot of times the assistants kind of fade back into the woodwork. This guy didn't. This guy stood out because of what he did and what he meant to this organization. And he's a beloved figure that will always be beloved for what he did and what he brought here. What do you feel his legacy is going to be? Uh, I think it's going to be his just the person he was, uh, who he was, the man. Uh, he 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 touched so many lives with his just his human person. The, his not beating, uh, you know, trying to be a fake figure. He was a real real person, and he treated you like a real person. And he expected you to do that in return. And he expected everybody to do their job and be. But he was he was just always a real person. You could count on him if if you did the right thing. He was gonna he was gonna praise you for it. If you did the wrong thing, he would get all over you for it. And he was just a real man and a real person. And I think that's that's probably what he'll be known for. His legacy is that he was he was the founder of the Hogs. And and you know they even had a there's a group that are still around called the Hogettes that are a group of uh, local people that um, that dress up like the Hogs and go to all the games. And they've been there since way back in the in the in the eighties. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, he's a, a highly respected person. He's been in the NFL. He was in the NFL for 32 years, a lifer there. Of course, when you look at the Hogs, as you said, the Hogettes, you still laugh and it brings a smile to your face when you see these guys still dressed up like Hogs all these years later yeah. at, uh, at the stadium. And it's something where you're like, it's a, it's a link to the past, but same time, it was just such a special time. Uh, to be a Redskin fan and the fact that we yeah, were so excited. Actually, yeah, the Hogettes are actually in the Hall of Fame. They've got uh, their outfit in the Hall of Fame in camp. So that's how that's how influential they they were. Uh, and and he was the founder of that, and he's the one that inspired those guys to do the things they did. I'll tell you what, I think his legacy is going to be even bigger to a standpoint, as George Stark said years ago, the Hogs made it so offensive linemen made money too. The game was always about the quarterback, the running back, and the receivers. No one ever talked about the offensive line before the Hogs. The Hogs were the first offensive line to ever take over a game by themselves. It didn't matter who the quarterback was. didn't matter who the running back was at the time. He said it changed how people looked at football, so now everybody knows you've got to have a good offensive line. And I think offensive linemen coming up that are spectacular in what they do owe him a debt of gratitude because – 
the fact that now it's a top-paid position because people realize the value of a great offensive line. Oh, yeah. And fourth quarter, they dominated. Uh, our running game in the fourth quarter just dominated, and that's what uh, took us to the Super Bowls and what got us all the wins. Uh, was that fourth quarter, especially when we had John Riggins in the backfield back there to just plow it, you know, between the tackles, and and we just controlled the, the football game. Bugle said uh, in an interview once, "I'm not an easy guy to get along with. I don't have a big vocabulary. I I I have every swear word you want to know, and I'm sure through the years you heard enough of them there at the at the park. But I tell you one thing about it is it was it was all out of love. And I know one thing: he took players like the Joe Jacobis and transformed them from uh, just average guys at times coming out of college until spectacular Hall of Famers or Hall of Famers to be. So the fact that he was not only a great man and a great coach but a great teacher which is something you've talked in the past about coaches being teachers but the fact that he was able to get these guys to bring out the best in them every single weekend was something that uh i just think goes without saying what an amazing career he had he was he was a great friend too i there's not a time that i uh that i ran into him that he didn't come over and shake my hand and put his arm around my shoulder and and always had that smile on his face and hey mose you know that's uh, you know he just you could see the respect that he had for all of us when we would see him in the later years. And uh, he's going to be missed. He's going to be sorely missed. He was a great guy and a great individual and a good friend. And, and I'm telling you, the Hogs, those guys uh, that were up front, are, are they're in, a, in great mourning right now with all the rest of us. But they are really because they were close. I mean, it was like a father-son relationship that those offensive linemen had with uh, Coach Bugle. I was going to ask you on a personal level. I mean, you've told me in the past about your father, the impact he had on you, of course, and of course your high school coach who was so beloved to you and Coach Gibbs and Coach Bugle and the guys that have affected you. The coaching aspect, not only coaching but teaching, the fact that you've learned so much from a mentorship from these guys as well, these lessons aren't just football lessons. These things have really affected you throughout your life. Can you speak to that in terms of the coaches that have made their oh, yeah. impact no, on you? If you go and look at all of the players that played back in the 80s um, under Coach Gibbs and Coach Bugle and those, those teams, those guys are now out in the business world, and the majority of them are very successful in business. And, and it's, a lot of it comes from the, the lessons that they learned uh, from the coaches uh, as well as just being on the field and working as a team and doing all those things that, that um, it, successful individuals do. And I think if uh, that you know if you if you take a look at just one aspect of what he gave to the players, that was one of those great things. Is that uh, they all, after they left football, knew how to prepare themselves. They knew how to to be dedicated and, and uh, every day go out and do the best they could with what they had to to make things happen in a good way and not to quit when things got hard. Uh, you know, those are all things that were taught to us from uh, these coaches that we had throughout our years, uh, all the way from Little League, all the way through um, our professional careers. And coaches have a great, great uh, um, influence on players. I think that's one of, the, one of the things that a lot of our schools don't recognize is the importance of your coaches and your coaching staff, and that they're good, good men as well as good coaches because they teach so much more just X's and O's out there. They they teach young men how to be men and how to perform in in the real in real life. When you look at Joe Gibbs um, in terms of his success, 
at the NFL level. Then you look at his winning multiple you know NASCAR championships. What's a common denominator with him that makes him so great? Is it the fact that he just is that born leader, or did it ever surprise you the success he's had in NASCAR based on what he did in the NFL? Or you basically thought to yourself, "Hey, this is just going to happen because that's that guy. That's who he is." That's a good example of what I was saying here earlier. Is is what they teach the players, the individuals, the the respect that they carry when they when they're talking to you. Uh, you know, I've I've been with Coach Gibbs in in the booth during the races. And it sound it reminds me so much of when he was on the sidelines, uh, when he's on that uh, on that radio talking to the drivers. Uh, he's a he. It, you just uh, there's something about that his voice that gives you that confidence that you you can do whatever it is you're trying to do. You just don't uh, give up. I remember standing beside him on the sidelines before I'd go out to kick a game-winning field goal, and he was always afraid to really say anything to me. He would just look at me and give me that look and shake and nod his head. And I'd go in and make the field goal, you know, and that was that was the confidence that I needed and the confidence that I got from just that little nod of the head. Um, but he does that. Uh, I, it was no shock to me uh, the of the success that he's had as a as an owner in the in NASCAR. He's just that kind of a person. And there's just some people are born with that leadership ability and that respectability that comes from um, from inside a person. And I think he's one of those, and and Bukes is one of those too that. You just wanted to follow him anywhere. Our final moments with the 1982 NFL MVP, Mark Mosley. And, folks, I'm going to tell you what. I've said it from day one. I'll say it till forever. He deserves being the Hall of Fame. Mark Mosley does. Remember, he trotted out 44 times, folks, in the final minutes of a ball game to win games in his career. He was successful 43 of 44 times. And if that isn't Hall of Fame, there should be no Hall of Fame. Mark, I know it's not something that you bang the drum for, and it's not something that you jump up and down about, but the numbers and the historical aspects of what you did with this uh, Joe Gibbs, Joe Bugle offense and all the things you did, uh, you got to shake your head sometimes and say, you know, what does it take to be uh, looked at upon a Hall of Fame aspect? And I know that the special teams doesn't get – the aspect and people say, well, it's such a vital part of the game. You get offense, defense, special teams, but it doesn't seem that it translates to the hall to be as as under considerations as, as it should be. Well, that's just the game, and that's uh, it's always been that way, and I guess it will always be that way. They have actually loosened up a little bit over the last few years. There've been a, a few um, kickers and punters that have been installed in the Hall of Fame. Uh, who knows? Maybe one day. I, I like I said to you. Um, Previously, I don't hold my breath for that. I would love to be in the Hall of Fame because that indicates uh, the, your ability to push yourself to be the best you can be. Uh, and and um, uh, just to be in the, in the same hall as those great uh, NFL players over the, over the, the, you know, the last uh, 80-something years uh, would be phenomenal but, uh, to be included in that. But that's, you know, like I said, I, I'm not, uh, that's not who I am. The person I am now is me. Uh, the, the football was a great means to an end for me, and it was a, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I would have played off my, my whole life if I could have, uh, but that's just the aspect of the game is after a while you just physically can't do that job anymore. But I, uh, I've, I respect the game. I love the game. I've always uh, loved the Redskins. I've always uh, wanted to continue to be a part of that uh, organization, uh, my reputation, I think, as a as a businessman, it 
it actually goes back to my uh, reputation as a redskin. And I've tried to put the same effort in, in my success as a businessman as I did when I was playing football. And uh, I hope that I, uh, and I think I am having the same results. And a lot of that came from my being around football and being a, a part of Coach Gibbs and Coach Bugle's teams back in the 70s and 80s and, and uh, learning from them. Got to ask you one final question. Uh, five seconds left. I tried you out there, 40-plus yarder. You got to get it right now. Can you give me one more? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I would I would definitely be out there trying. I can say that. There but you if go. My leg, if, if my leg had it in it, I'd, I'd do it. I can still kick it straight. I know that. <laughs> they'll still go straight there you go hey mark thank you for joining us on what is an incredibly hard day for you in redskin nation and uh, we appreciate you jumping on and talking about the uh, great joe bugle and uh, he will be sorely missed and we thank you so much on this very tough day for you and your teammates thank you jamie i appreciate it and um i, I again i want to send out my condolences to the family and and uh my prayers ago and and uh Hopefully we'll find out something. I don't know right now. It's, it's a tough time uh, for, you know, when someone passes away, they you can't even have have uh, opportunities to uh, to enjoy their life together with their family. But whatever they decide to do, we'll be a part of it. And that's Mark Mosley. Thank you so much, Mark, and have a blessed day. Uh, Mark Mosley joining us on the Remembrances of Joe Bugle. I'm going to take a time out, come back. Final half hour of the Sports King returns after these messages. Hey, this is Joe Theismann, and you're listening to The Sports King with Jamie King. Let's get back to the guy who said where there's a will, there's a relative. Oh, you're listening to Sports King right here on Sports 106.1. And welcome back. Final half hour of the Sports King program on Sports 106.1 Facebook Live. We want to once again thank our sponsors. We can't do it without them. We want to thank... Nerve, never underestimate radical vision. Andrew Fisher with his website, thinkoutsidethewebsite.com for all your digital marketing needs, video, graphics, website design. They do it all. Andrew Fisher, give them a look. Once again, thinkoutsidethewebsite.com. Also, CMA Colonial Honda, Tim Cosgrove, and outstanding folks there. Uh, we actually got a car from them, and of course, we were worried. You know, we had family coming in and we couldn't get out, of course, the situation as it is. Tim said, don't worry about it. We're going to bring that vehicle to your house. We'll do the deal right there. Kitchen table. We'll get it done. Brought the paperwork in. Got it done. No fuss, no muss. In and out. Half hour. And there you go. Unbelievable. CMA Colonial Honda. Tim Cosgrove. They do amazing work in our community. The Podiatry Center. Dr. Paul Ross. You know how we feel about Dr. Ross. He is the best in the business. 180,000 patients can't be wrong. And, of course, he is the author of the Ross Rules of Foot Care, heard exclusively here on the Sports King program every single week. And we welcome back, uh, starting this week, it's going to be Coastal Carolina University, Joe Mowgli of the Joe Mowgli Report. Uh, of course, the former coach at Coastal Carolina University on the football side, also a world-renowned businessman and the current uh, chairman of TD Ameritrade. And, man, does that guy know finance. And I'll tell you what, he's the architect of that $26.8 billion converging and takeover of TD Ameritrade to Charles Schwab. He authored that deal, just one of the best and biggest in all of American business history. Joe Mowgli, our special guest, he'll be coming up soon. Uh, We'll let you know 
on the Sports King program. We want to get back to the Cam Newton situation. Of course, he signed a one-year contract. It didn't sit well with some folks being his uh, not only his teammates, but some guys that play around the league. A New England Patriots, uh, of course, signed him on Sunday. San Francisco 49ers cornerback Richard Sherman felt Newton wasn't paid what he deserves to be paid. Newton has been plagued with injuries over the past several seasons. He'll get an opportunity to prove his value with Bill Belichick, trying to capitalize on a long-term deal possibly in 2021. The one-year deal that Newton has just signed is worth up to $7.5 million with incentives heavy incentives on the back end of this deal. The minimum base salary is a little over a million dollars in the 2015 NFL MVP would rank 27th among league quarterbacks, even if he capitalized on the full value of the deal, according to OverTheCap.com, which uh, looks at all the salary cap situations. Regardless of circumstances and the potential for a match made in heaven, Richard Sherman wasn't having it. How many, this is Sherman asking this, how many league uh, former league MVPs have had to sign for the league minimum. I'm just asking for a question uh, for for a, a friend, uh, Sherman said, uh, about the question about how many MVPs have signed for the league minimum. He said it's just ridiculous, Sherman tweeted. Uh, he went on to compliment Newton's res- resume saying this is a leader uh, and there are less talented quarterbacks getting 15 and $16 million a year. This is absolutely disgusting. So good on him for standing up for Cam Newton, but – as you recall, Newton was the first pick of the 2011 draft. He became a free agent after the rebuilding Panthers released him back on March 24th with one year left on his contract. Now, the Panthers, let's make no mistake about this, the Panthers did Cam Newton no favors by releasing him when they did. They basically killed him in terms of financial opportunities, and he could have made a lot more money, but the timing of letting him go just wasn't really well done in terms of the Panthers. Not a good look for Matt Rule in that entire group there in Carolina. But they got Teddy Bridgewater, so they got the man they wanted. But Cam Newton was left twisting in the wind, and he ends up now signing a deal with the Patriots for $1 million, the league minimum. So what do I feel about this? Well, you got to remember, despite his impressive body of work, uh, he was unsigned for three months because of his health and the lingering questions about his health. He's had a surgically repaired throwing shoulder I worked on a Liz Frank fracture in his left foot, his limited ability. Uh, he only went uh, 14 uh, out of 14 games he missed last year. He's had workout videos now on YouTube and social media, and they really look good. He seems to fully recover, and he seems to be 100%. He seems to be like he's the cam of old. If he's the cam of old, the Patriots got a steal. But I do see Richard Sherman's point. Uh, you know, I do take that seriously in terms of, is this guy the 27th best quarterback out there in terms of pay? The Patriots really stole Cam Newton, if you want to be honest about it. They got him for uh, nothing, basically. I mean, a million, yes, is a lot of money, but still in the aspects of football and starting quarterbacks, it's a pittance in terms of what he received from Robert Kraft and company. Even if he hits the $7.5 million in terms of all of the incentives, it's still not a very good deal. But I think Newton was in a no-win situation. He had to get somewhere. And let's say he holds a clipboard. If he doesn't play this year, which many people think he will, but if he didn't, he still makes a million dollars and he has an opportunity to learn the Patriots' way under Josh McDaniel, offensive coordinator, and Bill Belichick. He gets a year under his belt. But if he's thrust in there and has to play, if he has a great year and earns 7.5 or close to that, he can really break the bank the following year and ask for a big, big contract. But Sherman was saying that, it just doesn't seem right that a guy like that, who is a talent and has been a talent throughout the league, a Super Bowl uh, 
you know, quarterback that got you to a Super Bowl deserves a lot more money than, uh, you know, you get the guys 15 to $16 million a year now that are not even in his league. But uh, the question about Cam Newton isn't his ability. It's whether or not he can stay healthy and how is he going to look once he gets there to New England. I think he's going to have a great career there. I think he'll do big things there. I think it's a great fit for him. And they're going to give him the guidance and leadership opportunity there that maybe he didn't have in Carolina. I think they're going to ask him and put him in some really good positions. Josh McDaniel's got to be excited because the one thing that he brings to the table that Brady did not is – you're talking about a guy when his foot is right can run the football with authority. He can get outside. He can do a lot of RPO action still stuff that, you know, maybe Brady couldn't do as much of. Brady was more of a play action guy. Cam Newton can do things on the run where Brady could not. So that's going to be a big addition to that offense when he finally gets under center for New England. What's your take? 804-327-0888 is the number. 804-327-0888 is the number. Are you happy about Cam Newton? In uh, the New England Patriots uh, huddle now, do you feel he's going to be the starter game one? A lot of people think, you know, he may or may not be. I say Stidham is a guy that still feels like he's going to be the starter day one. We're going to have to wait that out and see how it plays out. The NFLPA is 80% confident there will be a football season this season. Uh, There's still a great threat out there, but Executive Director Marie Smith said he's confident that the level will be a full football season this year. He's optimistic, and he's stressed about the threat to football not happening is continuing to percolate out there. A lot of people are saying it may or may not happen, but it's a situation that uh, we're going to keep our eye on and, you know, hopefully 80%, uh, they're right, and we get this thing done. Uh, it's going to be uh, maybe the end of football altogether for Johnny Football. Johnny Manziel says his pro football career is probably in the past. It's been five years. you believe that, right? Nearly five years since Johnny Manziel last took the field in an NFL game, and according to the 2012 Heisman Trophy winner, his absence will continue indefinitely. He had brief stints in the CFL and the Alliance of American Football over the past couple of years as he's tried to rejuvenate his failed professional career. But Manziel has now conceded that his football days are indeed in the past. The former Cleveland Browns quarterback recently moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, where he's been playing golf daily and partying with friends in Scottsdale nightclub industry. While returning to Texas for a golf trip, Manziel essentially admitted that he's moved on from football. He said via the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, Quote, in the past probably is the way I characterize it. I finally got to a point where I'm trying to achieve happiness in life, not happiness on the football field. I know a lot of people probably want me to come back and play and give it another chance, but I don't know as far as being a person and figuring out life as a young adult, trying to make it and figure it out. If I've ever been in a better place than I am right now, I can honestly say uh, I'm very happy and I'm doing the right things to try to put a smile on my face every day, and that means more to me than going out and grinding on the football field, in quote. So uh, Johnny Football, a guy that I really was high on uh, you know, coming out of college, I had a lot of uh, hope for him because uh, he did things with his feet and did things with his arm in college that really uh, you know, was so exciting to watch. He just did never translate it, and you wonder to yourself, did the kid just not have the talent at the next level? I don't think that's the case. I think sometimes the system and the coaching, if you get in the right system that utilizes, and of course, talent, you have to have blocking around you. You have to have guys that can catch a football. And Cleveland may just not have been the best spot for the Foreman Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, he's a guy that uh, just never seemed to really gel there. And the folks in Cleveland that were hoping he'd be the guy that turned the franchise around had some flashes, but they were few and far between. 
and it's a situation where you're like, man, you just hope this thing could really work, but for whatever reason, it did not work. We want to thank Mark Mosley, who started off the hour with his remembrances of the late Joe Bugle, who passed away yesterday at age 80. That was our top story of the day. And also Cam Newton, and as Ben Maitland uh, was talking about, the Patriots have been penalized for filming on the sideline, a $1.1 million fine. And also they have their television production crews barred from shooting anything this season. But you have to wonder, Ben said it best. And think about this, folks. He said, hey, during a break early on, the Patriots announced Cam Newton and they slide in this fine immediately a half an hour later. So it kind of gets swept under the rug. That's the Patriot way. Let's minimize and mitigate the damages to the bad and put out some good. So, Hey, we can do the cam deal. We'll slide in the fact that we got uh, stripped of a third round pick in 2021, a million and $1.1 million fine. Let's go ahead and not talk about that, but let's go ahead and talk about Cam Newton. So a situation that was very calculated. Do not think for one second that this was not calculated from the Patriots. It was, uh, you know, it's one of those things with Belichick and the Patriots who were penalized in 2007 for illegally filming the play signals coming from opposing team benches. Belichick was fined 500000 while the organization was docked 250000 as well as a first-round draft pick. The Patriots, like I say, a team that you think, uh, you look a little Houston Astros, uh, Houston Astros, if you will. They have a little bit of that shadiness to them. And, of course, they've done some things. It's a shame that they have to use those things to their advantage when you look at the talent on that team, the success they've had. But that cloud is over top of them in terms of uh, doing things a little bit uh, uh, outside of the circle, if you will, because uh, they were blamed, of course, by uh, the NFL and they had to pay the 1.1 million and they had to have their production crew stripped of any opportunity to cover the team this year, but that's all been done. And now uh, Patriots are like, Hey, it's much to do about nothing. Hey, we signed Cam Newton. Look over here. Don't look over there. Look over here. Pay no attention to the man behind the uh, screen there. But that's the situation with new England. It's just their MO. They want to make sure they uh, accentuate the positive and mitigate the negative. It's something they did in a situation that of course is, uh, uh, Interesting to say the least, but Belichick has his way of doing it. And I guarantee you they sat around and said, hey, let's do this and then drop this immediately following so we don't get any ramifications and we don't talk about it. Let's talk all cam, nothing else. Uh, we do want to let you know in Major League Baseball, the Minnesota Twins became the first team to prohibit high-risk staff members from working alongside players and coaches. Uh, veteran coaches Bob McClure, 68 years of age, Bill Ever, 66, were informed that they will not be on the coaching staff this year because of health and safety concerns with COVID-19. The Twins' decision was made after examining the health histories of all their staff members. Twins officials were available for unavailable for comment this morning. McClure was entering his first season as bullpen coach, while Evers was entering his second season as a major league coach. They each will be paid their full salary for the season, so that's a good thing. But you wonder, in this situation, and then you look at guys like Dusty Baker, who's 71 years of age, and uh, – there's other coaches on the Astros 60 years or older. So you wonder how it's going to work. I mean, how can you basically penalize these two guys? If Bob McClure and Bill Evers uh, from the Twins say, I want to coach and I'm willing to put myself out there, is it Major League Baseball's right to take that from them and say, because of your age, we're not going to be allowed here? Or is it up to the coach? Should the coach have the opportunity to say, I'll sign a waiver that if anything happens to me, I will take whatever it is and I'll face it head on, but I want the opportunity to do this job. I commend the twins for paying these two coaches and it's a great thing that they did this and uh, they're going to keep their, 
you know, position. They're not losing their job. It's just they're going to be, for the immediate future, they're going to be held out of baseball at all kind of activities with the team, but they still get their money. So you wonder, from a baseball standpoint, how much of this is going to happen, and is there going to be a backlash from the older coaches saying it's a discrimination thing? Yes, it's a health thing, but is it also a discrimination thing? That's a deeper question for another day, but I wonder what's your take on it. 804-327-0888 is the number. Uh, 804-327-0888 is the number, because I wonder if this is going to blow back on baseball where they're going to say, hey, look, you cannot uh, penalize older coaches. And this is not only coaches in baseball, but what about football and basketball and uh, all the other sports, hockey as well? Are they going to be penalized for the older coaches uh, in a certain age that will be penalized? Will they be paid? Will they be penalized? Will they be let go? You wonder what's going to happen. But right off the bat, Bob McClure, 68, Bill Evers, 66, informed that they will not be able to be able to be on the coaching staff of the Twins for this season, the 60-game season due to the coronavirus, but they will get paid their full salary. I'm going to take a timeout, come back. you got about 15 minutes left of the show. Don't go away. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 106.1. Hi, this is Joe Beninati. You're listening to the Sports King, Jamie King on Sports 106.1. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. Our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy. So when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to cmascolonialhonda.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com. Want to reach the Sports King? Call 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. Learn it. Know it. Live it. And we welcome you back. Final 10 minutes of the show, thereabouts. We're going to head out to Los Angeles immediately following. It's Jim Rome, the legendary broadcaster in the jungle, starting at the 12 o'clock hour. It all starts here on Sports 1061. Big Allen Sports Phone, 8 to 10 live, and immediately following, we're 10 to 12 each and every day, Monday through Friday. We're going to be off this Friday in observance of the 4th of July holiday weekend, which we hope all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend upcoming, and I know many of you are looking forward to that, uh, being as close to family as you can and uh, trying to enjoy as much as we can in this new world that we're in that uh, we're not liking too much. We want to get back to the old way of doing things as soon as possible. I know Major League Baseball wants to get back to doing things as soon as possible the old way. Grant Dayton, for one, he's going to notice that his salary has been uh, definitely changing as he's a member of the Atlanta Braves. He has a twice-a-month salary check he normally gets. He is, however, among 11 major leaguers who who have prorated pay for the abbreviated 60-game upcoming season, which amounts less than the 286000 advance he already received by the 32-year-old left-hander. Uh, it's going to be weird, he said, not getting a paycheck this past Friday, but we already got paid. So this is a guy that uh, is a pitcher, and he's a guy that knows how to 
uh, it's going to have to know how to budget because others are not going to get paid as well because of the lower prorated salaries. There are Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Jimmy Nelson, New York Yankees reliever Jonathan Holder. $277,778 is what they've already been paid. Pittsburgh infielder Eric Gonzalez, Minnesota pitcher Matt Whistler, two sixty-eight five nineteen apiece. Catcher uh, Andrew Knapp, two hundred sixty-two thousand nine forty-three. Chicago Cubs pitcher Jarrell Cotton, two thirty-seven zero three seven. Pitchers Colin McHugh, Boston. Ross Stripling of the Dodgers and Jesse Hahn of Kansas City have earned two twenty-two two twenty-two each. And Milwaukee pitcher. Freddie Peralta, 575200 They're all going to have to live on that for 60 games. So whatever amount they normally get, it's only going to be the one check. So the rest of the way, they're not getting paid. So I know for all of you listening, you're sitting there saying, wait a minute, 277 262 237 uh, Man, I don't know if I could get by on that either. But you have to understand, these guys have um, you know major league uh, probably mortgages and they probably have gone a lot uh, into debt in terms of buying a lot of different uh, vehicles and maybe homes for family members and so forth. So that uh, money is not going as far as they'd like it to go because it's definitely something that they're not getting as much as they used to get because of 60 games. They're only going to get a certain amount. So it's going to be interesting to see. But uh, you're looking at a lot of players going to have to make a lot of concessions this year. And uh, as Dayton said, I knew that there was going to be a point that if we resume games, I wouldn't get paid. I was okay with that because we still receive significant amounts of money and we're fine. And uh, each of the roughly 480 players with so-called straight and quote contracts call for a single salary base of 286,500. The 769 players with split contracts that have a lower salary in the minor leagues, generally a younger player, a uh, younger group not eligible for arbitration either got 16500 30000 or 60000 depending on their minor league pay level. So, you know, Dayton, he had spent part of three seasons in the majors. He has a $655,000 one year contract. The prorated salary for the strike shortened season, 242593 So he's going to have to get by on that. And I know uh, there are tougher things to do than that. But interesting, Major League Baseball is trying to do their best to. And like I said, I don't know how the owners are ever going to make any money back with no fans other than the TV money. That's going to be it. So it's going to be very contentious going forward because the players feel like they're giving up everything and the owners feel like they're giving up everything. So uh, it's a mess all in all. But it's the situation there. It's uh, fluid, but at least we're going to have baseball back. The start date is going to be, it looks like, the 24th of July will be your Major League start date. We know the NBA is right around the corner. We talked about that earlier in the show. And uh, earlier we talked about the late, great Joe Bugle. And we thank our 11 o'clock guest, Mark Mosley, the 1982 NFL MVP, for sharing some insights into Joe Bugle's career and more so the man and what made him special in terms of his leadership and the ability to take players like a Joe Jacoby that was unheralded out of college and turn him into a potential Hall of Famer. Of course, the signature name, the Hogs, and as Mark said, the Hogettes still uh, formerly at RFK and now at FedEx Field. They're still out there every weekend. They do a lot of things for charity. And uh, as George Stark said, you know, he made offensive linemen relevant and he made them get more money and more pay because 
people focus more on the offensive line once the Hogs came into play. And if you remember all the great running backs they had in the nation's capital, including the Diesel, John Riggins, all of the big things they did on the ground. You don't have the aerial assault in Washington if you don't have the ground game. They're able to basically hammer people game in, game out, soften them up, as I said, like that body punch, body punch, body punch. And then once uh, a team started stacking the box saying we can't get beat by this big offensive line, this counter tray. And that's the thing about the counter tray. You knew it was coming nine times out of ten, just like 70 chip where John Riggins went off tackle and he scored. You knew the play was coming your way, but you couldn't stop it. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to stop it. And if you put, you know, eight guys or more in a box trying to shut it down, that was when Joe Gibbs and the masterful play caller that he was would do a play action and go up top. And as you saw in the Super Bowl against Denver, Ricky Sanders and Gary Clark and company um, exploiting that and going deep because the rushing attack was so great in Washington that they softened you up and they could go up top. And as you recall, just huge numbers in the Super Bowl because offensively we could run the football, which absolutely set up the pass there. So that was a look back at the great life of Joe Bugle. We thank Mark Mosley again for joining us, talking about it, and a guy that always had a smile on his face, Joe Bugle. Uh, as he said, he had a limited vocabulary. He liked to swear a lot, but boy, he knew when to get on his guys and he knew when not to, and they absolutely responded for him in every way, shape, or form in terms of uh, – you know, performing at the highest level when he asked them to. And as Mark said, they would run through a wall for the guy, and they did each and every Sunday that they lined up. So that was uh, Joe Bugle, and we appreciate him and all the things he did, and what a great coach. And we don't win our Super Bowls without Boss Hogg, Joe Bugle, gone at 80 years of age. Also, other big news, Cam Newton signs a one-year deal, $1.1 million. Of course, league minimum, Travelers winner, in golf was Dustin Johnson, 19 under par, was your winner. It was Denny Hamlin. Uh, he brought it home yesterday as well. So the Joe Gibbs driver, of course, another big win there. Joe Gibbs, i uh, tell you what, folks, it's just not luck. When he did what he did with the NFL and did what he did with uh, NASCAR, when you're a winner and you know how to lead people, you find a way, and Joe Gibbs is the absolute best, in my opinion. I'll go on record saying that. Uh, you're talking about a guy that uh, – one at the highest level in the NFL, then transfers over to NASCAR. And, folks, it's just not luck. You may say, oh, the guy gets lucky here and there. You don't get lucky that many times because this is pure talent. And as uh, Mark Mosley said, being up in the booth listening to him at a racetrack with the same way that he guided you know, quarterbacks and play calling, he does the same thing uh, on the track in terms of leading his drivers and getting them in the right position. And he makes people believe, as Mark said, that you can do this. He makes you believe you can win, and that's a mark of a leader and a champion. And that's Joe Gibbs, and that's what he did. And, of course, same thing with Joe Bugle, who did the same thing. So that is going to wrap her up. We want to, once again, thank all of our sponsors, of course, uh, Nerve, ThinkOutsideTheWebsite.com, CMA Colonial Honda, Tim Cosgrove, the Podiatry Center, Dr. Paul Ross, Coastal Carolina University, and the Joe Mogley Report. And I want to thank Ben Maitland for all his great work behind the glass today. And, of course, don't forget, we'll be off this coming Friday in observance of the 4th of July holiday. And uh, we definitely love looking back at the life and times of Joe Bugle today on the Sports King Show. And uh, that's going to wrap her up for this Monday edition. We want to thank you. Hope you have a beautiful day out there and uh, keep smiling. And we're getting one step closer. We're getting to the NBA, Major League Baseball. we got some dates, some firm dates. Now if college football and the NFL can find a way, there's got to be a way somehow to have a season, of course, without fans for now. But we hope it'll come back in some way, shape, or form. And uh, that's the hope. 
So that's going to wrap her up. For Ben, I'm Jamie. Have a great rest of your Monday, and we'll see you tomorrow for another edition of the Sports King on Sports 1061.